so we've been doing a series this summer called Lessons from the Early Church. Really, in many ways, we're, yeah, it is a good one. We're acknowledging that our own life and times really shape how we interpret Scripture. It can really shape how we understand God. And so what we're trying to do is look at the historical uh, record of the, church, of the early church from Scripture and, and just try to break free from maybe some misunderstandings that might just kind of encumber and, and weigh down our life with Christ today. And so, so today, uh, we're going to be looking at the subject of Christian giving or tithing. Yeah, that's what I was expecting to hear. Uh, so if, if you've been a part of the American church for any length of time, your training on giving or tithing, it probably falls between two extremes, uh, two extremes on a, a spectrum, and you're probably somewhere between them. On one side, we have the, the tithers. So uh, this is the most black and white sentiment on giving, uh, probably even leans into at times maybe a, a little bit transactional in our understanding of this principle. Um, tithers... Uh, their theology is based on uh, the Old Testament tithe in many ways. And, um, and, and they believe that the baseline for Christian giving is the tithe, which is uh, fill in the blank number one there on your worksheets. I think we even have a slide for that. Dad, do you, do you want to you have the teaching slides there? <laughs> Discussion question slides. This would be great because, you know, I took a lot of time to make these slides and and we would hate for them to not be used. That's all right. Bring it up here. That's okay. He's a, this is his first Sunday doing the slides, you guys. Isn't he doing a good job? There you go. So for some, the baseline for Christian giving is the tithe. It means you donate 10% of your income to the storehouse, a.k.a. your local church. And, um, and if you do your part, this is where it can tend to be a little bit transactionally understanding of God. If you do your part, if you tithe, if you bring in 10%, then God is going to do his part, uh, maybe supplying all your needs. And, and the tithe, the 10% is the baseline for giving. Uh, if you want to support things other than your local church, then you, you don't rob God's storehouse to feed the poor. No, you would give above and beyond that. Um, and if you're complaining about tithing, you feel like 10% is too much, then uh, tithers will be quick to remind you that when the Holy Spirit moved on the hearts of God's people in the book of Acts, they gave everything. So a favorite verse from, from this side of the spectrum is Micah chapter 3. Uh, and uh, this is one I think I could almost recite from memory, having heard it so many times at a church I attended when I was growing up. Uh, Anyhow, Micah chapter 3, verse 7, uh, the prophet says, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and you've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Well, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In the tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. And test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will, be not, there will not be room enough to store it. I don't know if this is true, but I was taught many times growing up, this is the only place where the Lord ever says to test him. Uh, and we'll pass the baskets now. Who's ready to, 
Who's ready to test God? Okay, we won't pass the baskets. All right. That has literally never happened here before. Um, <laughs> so uh, the gist of it is, if you do your part, God will do his part. Uh, you bring in the tithe, and good stuff happens. Your crops are plentiful. Your shoes never wear out. God blesses everything. Now, um, this is something that, on one hand, the price maybe seems high, 10%. On the other hand, too good to be true. Just pay your 10% and then everything works out for you. Um, I have grown suspect of doctrine and, and theology that leans really heavily towards maybe some hand-picked verses and towards interpretation and application of those verses that would communicate to us um, and, and sort of be maybe coercive in nature telling us to always give more. Now, I say that, and we've had some good laughs, but... My background and my experience has, um, has taught me that seemingly you just can't go wrong tithing. This is my personal experience. You know, I, I grew up in a church that taught it pretty uh, religiously, especially in my middle school and high school years, and uh, began in my childhood and through my entire adulthood. I've just always practiced tithing. It seemed like a convenient place to start, and then my wife and I, when we give to other things, we budget above it. I mean, really, in many ways, following the letter of these rules, even though, as I look at Scripture now, I can, I can see arguments that it's maybe not the full picture of how God would want us to look at things. So even if my theological thinking and my Scripture interpretation doesn't necessarily see the issue as black and white or as transactional as I've laid it out, I do practically keep doing it because it, it just seems to work really, really well for me. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. So on the one side, you have tithers. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have people who are, well, we'll call them cheerful givers. So if the giving baseline for tithers is the tithe, then the baseline for Christian giving for cheerful givers is the conviction of one's own heart. This is point number two for you kids filling in the blank. For some, the baseline of Christian giving is the conviction of one's own heart. Uh, I, I still remember hearing it for the first time. I was listening to a preacher on the radio. I'm an adult. I'm like 20 years old. And, uh, and the preacher says, you know, the word tithe isn't even in the New Testament. And it was like, what? Here, I've been a tither my whole life, and this word isn't even in the New Testament. And they were making an argument for the cheerful giver uh, perspective on, on tithing. But I had never heard that before. Ne At least I never remembered hearing it. It was a shock. Um, so cheerful giving operates on the principle that, that uh, Scripture has taught us, that we, in the New Testament, we give what we feel led to give. Uh, uh, sentiments that can maybe be woven in there is that that's a, a personal decision that's between me and God. No pastor, no book of discipline, no Old Testament Scripture is going to tell me what to give. I have the Spirit living in me, and He will guide me in my generosity. Um, they see New Testament giving as defined in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, where Paul writes that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, and if you want to know why their scripture reference doesn't start in verse 6, just read it again on your own time someday. Uh, but usually they start in verse 7. 
So the big thing, I think, for them is to not feel compulsion in their giving, um, to not feel somehow obligated or strong-armed or manipulated into giving, but uh, to, to be fully free, to hear the Holy Spirit, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but, but I am somewhat suspect of theology and biblical interpretation and application of different scriptures that lean really heavily toward um, things that assure us all the time that, well, I can just give less. I can just give less. It, it doesn't really matter. However, I have found myself at times assuring people that it is okay to give less. For example, and this was an, uh, an eye-opening experience for me, and I remember a number of years ago, I'm having a conversation with a friend, and he confides in me that, um, that he feels really regretful over all of the money that he has given to the church over the years. He'd grown up in a similar background to mine, and so his household, his family had practiced tithing you know, as long as he could remember. Um, but he had grown to really, really resent it. it. It was like this weight on him. It was burdensome on his mental health. Like, I can't believe this check is going out every month. And so I'm talking, I'm, I'm like, good grief. If it's that miserable, like, don't do it. It just doesn't seem like that's what God, how God would want you to do it. And um, I struggled to, like, enter into his world because my experience, again, is so different. I feel like it's worked well for me. I, I, I can't remember a single time in my life that I've thought, man, I'm so angry that God wants me to do this. Um, but this was the experience that my friend was having. And it was, it was one of those things where I thought, like, this is not how it's supposed to work, Right? God's heart would never be that we would sacrificially and dutifully give to him, getting more and more angry every time we do, getting more and more angry at him, or growing more and more embittered, or, or being more and more burdened by some kind of religious duty. Um, I think if that's how someone is giving, then every dollar that they give is, in many ways, cementing an inaccurate picture of who God is in their own mind. And every dollar that they give is, is driving them further into embitterment from, from God and, and embitterment towards his people. And so that kind of giving doesn't, it's, it's not an act of faith or trust or, or gratitude. It's not a cheerful thing at all. It's just this total duty under compulsion. And so it's like, if that's how you feel, well, let's work on your understanding of God. Let's see you delivered from this uh, oppression of you know, this religious duty. We know that Jesus came to set us free, right? And so when we become legalistic about giving, that doesn't set anyone free. That's number three for your fill-in-the-blanks, kids. Legalism about giving does not set anyone free. So we're halfway through the sermon already. Congratulations. We've come to no conclusions. The same Bible that lays out the principles and promises of the tithe also preaches that Christ has fulfilled the requirements of law for me. Um, so what are modern Christians supposed to do? What is our relationship with giving supposed to be like? How are we supposed to think of this topic? Let's turn to the book of Acts. We're going to actually read a passage that Betty read about a month ago when she was teaching. Um, this is a paragraph that is describing the first days and the first weeks of life in the early church. And it's right after the Spirit gave birth to the movement of the church on the day of Pentecost. We're in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. After Peter preaches his dynamite sermon, they baptize thousands of people, the church explodes, and then we read these words in Acts 2, 42. 
says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is what I want you to notice as you maybe have the passage sitting in front of you on a screen or on a a piece of paper if you actually turn to page. Um, This is what I want you to notice. There's not a singular pronoun in the entire passage. In fact, if you were to skim the entire uh, New Testament and you were to look at places where Scripture speaking directly to the church, to believers, you hardly ever will find references in singular pronouns. You hardly ever find language directed toward individuals. This is because Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' mission, wasn't just about reconciling us to the Father. It's also about reconciling us to each other. Jesus didn't come just to change humanity's perspective of God. He came to change humanity's perspective of humanity. This was an earth-shattering revelation that shook the early church. And it was this fact. Number four, kids. God means for us to see ourselves more as a we than a me. Notice what we're talking about now is what God wants to get out of something, out of giving here, right? This is not necessarily about what giving is in, what's in giving for me or what's in giving for the church or you know, what's in giving for those who need someone to give to them. Uh, but we're asking the question, what is it that God is trying to accomplish through this practice? I think this is a question that we just don't ask enough, right? I mean, even I think of like planning a church service. And, and so often you're, you're planning a church service thinking about what do I want people to get out of this time, right? What do I want the people who come to our service to experience when they're here? Which isn't the worst question to ask, but I think it's a question worth asking at times. Like, what does God want to do? What do our church services mean to the one who created us? What is it that he wants to accomplish in this time? How can this time be for him? What does God want to accomplish through giving? I think it's part of his process for turning that me into a we. Jesus is meant to change the way that we see ourselves. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 3. He writes in verse 27, he says, You were, for all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. He said, So there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all one in Christ. How do we experience that? How do we live that out? I think your relationship with money will inevitably have a lot to do with your ability to live unified with others around you. If the cry of your heart is constantly me and mine, then there's always going to be a natural distance between you and others, you know, lest they ever feel entitled to your resources or lest you ever feel obligated 
to share with them. But when the cry of your heart as you look at people around you is, we're all in this together. When your eyes look to see others and you see brothers and sisters instead of strangers, then giving becomes this joyous act of unity. This last week, uh, Laura and I had invited another couple that we're friends with out for dinner. And, um, you know, we eat, we have a great time. Uh, We went over to Grant's. They have good food at Grant's. How many of you have been to Grant's yet? The place in the Monticello Hotel? Good food over there, okay? You heard it here first. They have good food over there. Um, After the meal, because you never know, in in Longview, you go into a restaurant. It might have good food, it might not. Um, After the meal, the server comes over to our table. And, and says, hey, one check or two. And my friend says, one. And then he took the bill and he paid for our dinner. Any of you ever had a friend do this for you? Isn't it great? I was like, oh man, you have no idea. July has been brutal. I'm so thankful that you just bought my dinner. Um, I mean, it's a little humbling. It's a great way to finish a meal. Uh, better than dessert, really, at least when you're at a restaurant. Um, But essentially what my friend is saying there is we are one, right? Your bill is now my bill. Your hunger is going to be fed from my bank account or my credit card statement. I don't know what it was, but uh, that's between him and the Lord. Um, You know, what could possibly possess these members of the early church that we just read about in the book of Acts? What could possess them to sell it all and share it with their friends? Their hearts have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. And when they saw the church around them, they didn't see strangers. They didn't see people at a distance. They saw, we're all in this together. Just like our friends. We had a great time at dinner. You know what? We're going to feed you. Because my money is your money, at least for tonight. In Christ, they had become a family. Have any of you ever had a family member in need? I mean, I can say with integrity, I would empty my bank account without a second thought for, you know, one of my kids. Right? I mean, they came to me and said, Dad, I need this much money. I'm in trouble. You know, I, I would give it as much as I could give. I would give. Because in reality, when I look at my children, I, I see that we are one. I mean, their joy is my joy. Their sorrow is my sorrow. It would be impossible for me to leave them behind on my way toward joy. I couldn't go there without them. And it would be impossible for me to linger back while they went forward into sorrow. I, I just couldn't. I, I couldn't hang back. I would have to go with them. We belong together. The power of the gospel is that it renews my mind and it begins to draw me into a reality where all of you would be the same. Where the devotion and commitment and generosity and the love that I have for my natural family, those natural family relationships and the the loyalty I feel to them, it would pale in comparison to what Christ has done in my heart in unifying me with the body of Christ, the family of God. And I think when God has done that work in your heart, it is not out of religious duty that one gives, but it becomes an act of unity. When my household ties to renewal, we do so because we are renewal. And renewal is us. And because we feel that the future of this ministry is very closely tied to our own future. And some of you are thinking, well, of course you feel that way. You work here. Yes, yes, I know, I know. 
There's also these two missionary families that Laura and I met uh, several summers ago when we were on a mission trip in Cambodia. And uh, God just bound our hearts to them in a significant way. And when we came home, it was like, how do we stay in touch? I mean, we can, we can message them and, and stay in touch online and things like that. But we just felt the Lord tugging at our hearts that we wanted to be unified with their work in a more significant way. And so every month, Laura and I send money to a couple of YWAM couples who are over there in Cambodia doing God's work. And so every month, we are connected to them. And the expression of our connection is experienced for them through this monthly support that comes in, paying their bills. And we experience that connection through the monthly sacrifice of giving our money to them. And then we experience it also through the testimonies of this work that God is doing through them that we feel totally connected to, we feel a part of. Our giving is an opportunity for us to share in that. Imagine it. I can impact the world on the other side of the globe for the kingdom without getting on an airplane. I just love it. Through the lives of people that I know, that I've met, that I trust, that I, that I love dearly, that I feel connected to. Our giving is an opportunity to share in that work, to be one with the laborers who are there, that we could share in the harvest that they're reaping there. And to say to those whom our friends are indebted to in Cambodia, I mean, because they have bills over there, they have bills over there, and it's like I'm sitting at the table and the bills come due and I say, one check, please, and I'll take that check, and we'll get it this time. So when you think about giving, I pray that we don't drown ourselves in legalism, At the same time, I pray that we don't drown ourselves in our own selfishness and our desire to have our own things, but that each of us would ask the Holy Spirit and search within ourselves and say, God, how can I be one with those that you have called me to walk with? What needs to change in my heart where I wouldn't withhold any good thing from a brother or a sister who is in need? And then I just pray the Holy Spirit would guide you and that he would give, uh, that you would give as he leads generously and sacrificially when he leads that way and always with a cheerful heart knowing that God only leads his people to good places with good plans for them. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your incredible generosity towards us. We pray that you would do the work in our heart, uh, the first work that needs to happen where our hearts are unified with those that you're calling us to walk with. And as our hearts are unified with your kingdom people and your kingdom purposes, Uh, We pray that you would guide us, that you would show us when to open our wallets and pour out. Uh, Show us uh, that you are faithful when we walk obediently in those ways. And we just put our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So kids, I'm going to come down. We're going to look at your papers. The rest of you, we've got a few discussion questions for you. Giving is probably one of those topics like you just don't want to talk with people about. So I just want to encourage you, like dive into this conversation as comfortably as you can, and uh, yeah, get real with each other and discuss these things, and uh, have fun. We'll come back for communion in just a minute.